Is it true that everything happens for a reason? Does God promise that he won't give you more than you can handle? Will various bad actions like drinking or having sex send you to hell? Does the Bible condone slavery? Each of these ideas are commonly assumed and talked about as if they're gospel truth, but are they? Welcome to the fourth episode of our newest series, Does the Bible Really Say?, where we'll explore hard sayings, popular myths, misinterpretations, and tricky themes in scripture. Sometimes scripture doesn't actually have a verse that says something we all believe to be true, but once we look at the entirety of God's word, we realize the idea is biblical, or it isn't. Today we'll be tackling some tough criticisms of the Bible, as well as some wonky ideas that have been wrongly attributed to God. But first, as always, Theology on Air is an offshoot of Theology on Tap, a ministry here in Houston where young adults come together to drink craft beer and talk about interesting topics around faith and culture and theology. And if you live in the Houston area, you should definitely come check us out. Everything you need to know, you can find at HoustonTOT.com. And if you like the podcast, like it, like it, you know, like with the button and share it with a friend and um, and help us grow. Uh, I'm Sarah Stone. I'm the Executive Director of Theology on Tap. And joining me is Evan McClanahan, Senior Pastor at First Lutheran Church in Midtown. And our guest today is a, is a favorite of TOT. Oscar Villanueva has been an educator for seven years. He's currently the biblical theology instructor at a private Christian school. And he's a former member of our TOT leadership team. Fun fact. So welcome, guys. Good to be here. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Evan. Good afternoon. <laughs> so if you've been listening to the series, you know that what we're doing is we're, we're taking some crowdsourced questions and we're asking the question, of course, is it really in the Bible? Does the Bible really say it? And we've invited different guests to join us. And so we're going to try to squeeze four questions in today. The four questions we're looking at are, does the Bible really say everything happens for a reason? That one gets thrown around a lot, y'all. Does the Bible really say God won't give you more than you can handle? Uh, does the Bible really say slavery was okay? We're going to get into some spicy stuff here. And then does the Bible really say, and I have it written out blank, will send you to hell? And I'll explain more about that when we get to that question, but um, it's going to be a doozy. So buckle up, get a beer, and here we go. So this first question, does the Bible really say everything happens for a reason? Oscar, do you want to take a stab at that first, and then we'll we'll tee it up to Evan and myself? Sure. Well, as long as I've been associated with uh, theology on tap slash air, Sarah's always wanted me to be as pithy as possible. That is so true. I'm going to go ahead and just give you the short answer, which is yes. <laughs> Great. Thank you for joining yes. us. And no, I'll see myself out. Thank you. Uh, well, if you're looking for an explanation of why, yes, everything happens for a reason, I think that uh, biblically speaking, we just have to appeal to God's sovereignty. Mm -hmm. And now there are any number of texts that we can look at uh, to, you could say, prove that God is sovereign, or at least if you're going to have a Christian understanding of God, that he is sovereign. But I really like uh, Matthew 10, uh, verse 29, that says that not one sparrow falls to the ground apart from your father's will. Um, one of my favorite theologians, rest in peace, R.C. Sproul, said that there's not a single rogue molecule anywhere <laughs> in the universe, which I thought was always a cool way yeah. of uh, putting forth this idea that uh, whether we see uh, very obviously or only in hindsight way after the fact, God is in fact uh, unfolding his redemptive mm -hmm. purposes uh, throughout history. And that um, while you probably don't want to use this as kind of a cheer up, buddy, everything happens for a reason. Um, response to everything, I think that there's lots of biblical warrant for saying that God is in fact in control, even if yeah. he doesn't seem to be at the moment. Yeah. So, that was pithy. Wow. 
Sorry, I'm I'm shocked. Yeah. So if I uh, have a terrible car accident and something tragic happens in my family, um, the last thing I probably want to hear is, well, you know, hey, it's okay because everything happens for a reason, right? And people do – I think people find themselves in situations where they don't know what to say. Mm-hmm. So they, they kind of resort to these kind of platitudes, you know. To- and they're not wrong, right? I mean, like – um, you think about the story of Joseph when there's so much evil done to him. And then at the end of the story, there's that classic phrase that every, I mean, it's classic and it's true that what you, in, what you intended for evil, God used for good. That's, that's a true thing. Um, when I think Romans 8, 28 is the one that got thrown out to me a ton in various times of suffering in my life, which is God works together, all things for good for those who love him called according to his purpose. Um, and, and that might be true that God works all things for good, but it doesn't mean they're all good now. And that's why it's not really a great thing to say to someone when they're in the middle of suffering, unless you're going to unpack this idea that like one day in some way that we really don't understand right now, God will use this because he uses everything because as Oscar said, he's sovereign. Yeah. I remember a few years ago in one of our, in our newsletter article I wrote, I I said something like, um, you know, it's important that the Christian, you know, build themselves up, if you will. Um, or be built up by the Spirit through regular worship services, through regular, you know, community in Christ. Um, because if you just show up, you know, if you just appeal to God on, on the worst day of your life, it's too late. Like you have to build up muscles, hmm. you know, for the, for the hard day. And what happens is people, you know, they don't do the hard work of scripture study, of community in Christ, of prayer. Not that that's even hard, but, you know, I guess it's hard because people don't do it. Um, and so then when something really bad happens, they just grab onto any platitude they can or like just like mm-hmm. any verse to like try to make sense of it. And but it's not really going to work, you know, so you have to you have you have to actually believe in God's sovereignty and like flesh that out in your daily life in a million different little ways so that when the big thing happens, it's something you can sort of absorb you yeah, know, maybe make sense of. So I would. I, I don't know. I. I. It, there's no catch-all like in the event of a in a in the event of a hardship. You have to prepare yourself for it. It's like it's like if I went to go fight, you know, uh, Ivan Drago. You know, right now. I don't know who that is. He's Rocky Four. Rocky Four. Okay. Yeah. Like, but you you know you have to go to Siberia and you have to train for a while. You know. What okay, I'm saying? we've derailed. <laughs> yeah, your as beard has to get more epic. You yeah, have to do oh some gosh. for sure. But as you're talking, it also makes me think that if you're not talking about this this verse, the Romans 8, 28, or just this concept in the way that Oscar was referring to. I think sometimes people are using it almost as this uh, karmic kind of thing, like mm, you reap yeah. what you sow, which by the way, reaping what you sow is biblical. But then there's, there's the way that our world and our culture right now, especially thinks like you put good out there, good comes back to you. And so everything happens for a reason. Now that gets into some tricky stuff. When we say everything happens for a reason, we mean everything happens because of God's providence, right? That's different than you put bad energy out there and that's mm-hmm. why you got in a car accident. So I think maybe it's helpful to think of like there's natural causes that, you know, are at play. You do reap what you sow in some sense, um, maybe not in some karmic sense. but And then there's also this idea of our sinful nature. I mean, I hate to be a downer and this is going to be a thread through the next couple of questions, but if everybody really is a sinner, which it turns out we are, it's kind of a bummer. Um, a lot of the bad things that happen do happen for the reason that people suck, you know, and it may not be you. It may be the drunk driver that ran into you, or you can ripple it out how you want. You might not know. And yet God is sovereign and he really will work it out for good in the end, which is quite hopeful. I wish people would start that way. Be like, you're going through some suffering, man, people suck and you didn't deserve that. And that was awful. 
And also, God loves you and he loves this world and he's going to redeem it and he's going to make things right and good and new. Okay, I'm done with my rant now. Yeah. But Sarah, if I could tease out uh, what you just kind of teed up for me, I don't know that you intended to because you didn't know what I was going to say, but uh, Galatians uh, 6, I think Paul really makes this point. And if I could just read what it says, uh, Paul tells us, do not be deceived for God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and the one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And uh, when you talked about or you brought up people's kind of karmic idea mm-hmm. of consequences, I think what we often fail to realize is exactly how good God is versus how sinful mm-hmm. we actually are. We think uh, by our own standard of good, we're putting good out into the world. And there we by, go. by our it. own standard of evil, we're hoping not to have evil come back on us. But we never think of our evil that we put out there mm-hmm. as evil as it actually is. And we all always overestimate our good. That's really good. Um, for being uh, way better than it mm-hmm. actually is. And so... Uh, just to at least for from my end, what really clarified this for me is thinking that uh, God instituted plenty of, you might say, mechanisms into his world, into his creation. And this uh, idea of sowing and reaping is is very clearly taught throughout all of scripture. And so if someone's like, why I'm in jail, uh, there, there must be something wrong with the system. Well, dude, you got caught stealing that TV. Mm-hmm. Like there's a reason why you're in jail. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very easy for us to often overlook our own faults as we start to analyze the events mm-hmm. of our lives. And it's very easy to point the finger when we're casting judgment on the events in other people's lives. Um, and you brought it up briefly, but I also just want to remind everyone that uh, things are broken in the universe because of sin. And that's not just broken in our hearts and broken in our bodies, uh, but also broken at a cosmic and at mm-hmm. a natural level. All uh, creation is groaning. Exactly. So um really wanted to just continue to emphasize those points because they're easy to forget whenever we're just thinking about what's going on in our own personal lives. Yeah, no, that's really good. I like that, the the standard piece, which is why karma in this sort of Eastern way of thinking about it doesn't really work. It's really good. Um, it, I also, one last thing is that there's a passage in John 9, I think, uh, where the, there's a blind man and the disciples ask Jesus, like, why was this man born blind? You know, was it his sin or his parents' sin? And Jesus says something to the effect of, it's, it's not either of those things. It's so that I can be glorified, which is a weird thing to say because that guy's being blind is really awful, you know? Well, of course, he doesn't stay blind, but um, which is great news. And it's a microcosm picture of how God is making things new. But I don't think that that guy and those disciples in that moment understood the sort of big picture thing that God can see because he's outside of time and he's in charge of everything. Um, but those are the moments that I wish people would appeal to when you're going through suffering. Like, this must be kind of how that blind guy felt when he was like, for God's glory, wait a minute, why am I the guy? Of course, he was thankful because then he got to see. And we all will one day. But any other last thoughts on this before we go to the next thing? I'd actually like to offer up a, a praise and a testimony if I could do it briefly. Okay. Uh, here over the past several days, I was in Costa Rica traveling with the school. And, you know, we had about 30 kids that we were traveling with, and there's the local sponsor of the trip. And the two other teachers that I was traveling with uh, knew very little about my own personal story. Hmm. Uh, We don't work on the same floor. We don't work in the same department. But, of course, them just kind of being generally curious and us having 
I'm joking. Three hour drives between yeah. here and there. They started to ask me. Well, long story short, I explained to them that I was raised in a, a very unorthodox um, sect that would call itself Christian and I would say is not actually. Well, throughout these conversations, what we didn't realize was that our bus driver was listening the entire time. Mm. These conversations were happening in Spanish. Um and of course, this gentleman didn't speak any English. So had they been happening in English, it might have not turned out this way. But it turns out that this bus driver of ours uh, had been raised as a Jehovah's Witness. And of course, within Jehovah's Witnesses, um, in their theology, you know, Christ is not divine. He mm-hmm. is not, he is not God, so on and so forth. And, and a lot of the ways that I think my upbringing uh, had wrong ideas about the Godhead and who God is and the nature of Christ and so on. Him listening to my responses led to one dinner, him asking several questions uh, regarding some questions that he had about Jehovah's Witnesses and their practice and their theology. You know, he was uh, having a really tough time accepting the fact that he'd been expelled mm-hmm. uh, and uh, effectively shunned out of his mm-hmm. family, and so had his brother. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this dinner, I was able to walk him through the in ways at this point in Spanish, oh. <laughs> in Spanish. Um, walk him through the ways that Jehovah's Witnesses have twisted the scriptures or excluded certain aspects of Christ's divinity and uh, really keep people under their thumb in in order that they don't study the Bible, don't study theology. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, praise be to God that over this trip and after that dinner, this gentleman gave his life to Christ. Wow. And I would say that that would not have happened had we not been having those conversations. Um on the bus or may, might not have happened in the way that it did yeah. uh, because he was able to hear someone having gone through a lot of those doubts and a mm-hmm. lot of that confusion and a lot of the family sorrows and aches Suffering. that came with it. Yeah. Uh, he was able to identify with it and he had someone that was able to not only empathize, but then also offer him biblical answers to the questions that he had. That is so cool, Oscar. And, and I think, I think sometimes people think we're always going to have that kind of a like here and now I can see where my suffering sort of not paid off, but was part of God's plan. And I'm glad that you got to. And then sometimes also we don't get to, right? And so that's why we have to trust that God is doing something good, even when we don't see. I think sometimes people try to connect the dots so much, they just get weary in that, well, well, so-and-so died and and so-and-so came to the funeral and maybe they told someone about, okay, maybe, but we can just sit in the suffering and know that, you know, Suffering is part of life, which will take us to our next question. Um, so this is something that people say, I think they are hearkening to a different Bible verse that says things slightly different. But does the Bible really say God won't give you more than you can handle? Anybody want to take a first stab at that? Or I'm happy to as well. Go ahead. Okay. I think that uh, most people, when they use that phrase, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. It's this colloquial sort of thing that people believe, but it comes from the verse about temptation. It comes from a verse in 1 Corinthians 10 that says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, when, (laughs) he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So the whole verse is about God is not going to let some kind of temptation come that you just, it's, you know, the waters will overcome you and you drown in it. Like there's a way out basically because he helps us with that. Um, I think, um, you know, this this doesn't mean that you're never going to face trouble, right? Um, we know that Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. But then he also says, take heart, I have overcome the world. Um, 
there's a difference between temptation and when people say more than you can handle. Because the truth is sometimes this life is more than we can handle. I mean, just think about it physically. There are people that have debilitating disease. It's more than their body can handle and they succumb to death. Um, but this verse is not about that. And so, no, I don't think it says in the Bible that God won't give you more than you can handle. I do think it says he won't give you more temptation than you can handle. That's my first stab. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. I mean, like you said, I mean, um, we're on a long enough timeline. We all are given more than we can handle because we all die. So, what? Uh, oh my gosh, true, this so. is news. But no, um, you know, I was thinking about, um, <clears throat> I was talking to someone from, um, Tanzania the other day. Uh, as one does. As one does. Yeah. And um, in long story short, just there, actually, I was talking to someone from Eritrea the other day, which is north of Tanzania. On the this eastern, sounds like the long story is getting long. The, the, eastern, the eastern coast of Africa, south of, of Ethiopia. Okay. Uh, of Africa. Anyway, we're describing differences in American culture and Eritrean culture. And I don't think it's any surprise to say that America is very individualistic culture. Mm-hmm. We kind of solve all of our problems on our own. Mm-hmm. You know, hopefully you can see where this is going. And they have a more communal culture where it's sort of large extended families. Mm-hmm. Even the Christians and Muslims there, you know, sort of get along. You know, we're all in it together. It's kind of like, I don't know, the Amish building up the barn. You know, when you know you, you help me build my barn today and I'll help you build yours next week or whatever, right? And so I think that in many respects, if we lived in the kinds of communities that we that God, you know, actually encourages us to live in, dare I say, then I think a lot of what is too much for any of us mm-hmm. to handle could be shared with the community. You know, so I do think that there is a communal lack in America that lives a lot leaves a lot of us on our own to sort of solve problems. I don't know if that's a theological answer, but um No, I like it. And what I hear you saying is we should start a commune. I'm in. Yes. Let's <laughs> here's three of us. Let's go. You know, let's start. Great. Let's build up the walls and get some chickens, and then and then we can handle each other's problems, you know. That's but I, I mean, obviously, the, I think the corollary would be the Christian community. You know, yes. churches should be more than just places where we, you know, have these services once a week. I mean, we should be supportive communities where we bear one another's burdens. I mm-hmm. think that's a biblical text. Yeah. And um, I think if we did bear one another's burdens, uh, then it would be a lot more true that we're not giving anything that we, we collectively can't handle together. Yeah, that's good. I like it. Well, fact check. <laughs> um, that is indeed a Christian text to bear one another's burdens. Um, I have two thoughts on this, yeah. if I may. Um, number one, uh, Paul seems to think that we might be tried beyond our ability to withstand it when it comes to physical difficulty or, uh, you know, just being in danger. Mm-hmm. Uh, here he's talking in Second Corinthians uh, chapter 1. He says, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, mm. so that we despaired. Of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the death sentence. Mm. But of course, in that next verse, he says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. And just going back to your cultural comments that you were making, Evan, um, we have such ease and we have such comfort. And by that, I just mean relative to places where there's very little ease and very little comfort. You know, I'm thinking about someone getting... Uh, the order wrong at Starbucks and someone responding with, I literally cannot even. Uh, <laughs> so many problems. Or the that. fries are called at McDonald's, so they destroy the cashier's machines. You know. Um, so I, I think that we often don't even know our own limits for being able to withstand pain, pressure, uh, and circumstances. I think it's only after we've gone through something that's in- incredibly arduous and God brings us through it mm-hmm. that we're able to look back and say, wow, had I not gone through that, 
I would have never imagined that I could go through that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's something that I would love to remind the audience about is that, number one, you may feel very much in the situation, like you're beyond your ability. Um, But if God sees you through it, if he deems uh, that he will see you through it, uh, then you can look back and you can glorify God. And that's just something that you know, I'm not a parent, but I would never want my kid to have to experience mm-hmm. that. Uh, and we, of course, don't want to experience it on our own. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's sometimes in that very deep struggle, that darkness in the night, that in the next day or when you finally come out of that deep struggle that you can look back and really see how God upheld you through it all. Yeah, that's really good. I feel the need to to circle back to one thing before we exit this question, just because you know, I was saying that the verse that's being sort of misinterpreted is about temptation. And I want to be clear that God is not the author of that temptation, right? It's not like God is giving us temptation, but don't worry, he's also going to help us out of it, which is really gross. That's like a toxic, abusive relationship. If someone's like, I'm going to do this bad thing, but then I'll help you so that you'll love me more. And I do think that's a caricature of God that especially Western Christians or Western, maybe non-Christians have, right? That he's this cosmic bully, but then he helps you and isn't that great. But but that's not at all the case. In fact, James talks about this. And this is the verse I want to read. James 1, 13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. And he himself tempts no one. That's pretty decisive speak, you know, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire when it has conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it's fully grown brings forth death. We talked about this last night in our Bible study about Judas that, you know, it talks about the devil entered Judas. Well, yes, but only when Judas made a lovely path for him to mm-hmm. come into his life, right? An, an invitation. Uh, um, if I might be controversial, it's an argument you hear in the sexuality conversations. Well, God made me this right. way. So how could God fault me for acting on such and such a uh, sexual practice, even if that we would say, I would say that sexual practice is, is clearly forbidden in scripture, right? So, because then yeah, you can no, turn around and say, point. well, God made me an adulterer. So I guess it's okay then. Um, but you know, th- this is an issue with the Lord's Prayer, you know, lead us not into temptation. Yeah, you know? I have that written down. So, yeah. uh, you know, the French, you know, recently uh, retranslated it. I don't know the, the, how they rephrased it. I really it. want you to say it in French. That yeah, would be amazing. That would be good. Oscar, um, can you? Oscar speaks a little French. Did you know oh, that? No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Un peu. <laughs> um, and that's it. It's yeah, just that phrase. Yeah, no, je parle un peu français. That's all I can say, too. Okay. So, um, no, but yeah. Um, and it was, it, and I'm not saying I agree with, with the new translation or whether that they should have retranslated. I'm just saying that they did it to sort of take off this sense that, well, if we say lead us not into temptation, sure. then it's the, the corollary is that he must be the one leading us into temptation. Right. And that's not really what it what it does mean. It, right. It means more, it's not that he's leading us into temptation, but that... He can lead us away from it. Yeah. Yeah. And and give us the strength to resist temptation. Yes. You know, help us to help us to bear it. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and when G- Jesus was tempted, and when he was tempted, he came back with scripture, right? Mm-hmm. He came back with what he knew to be true about the universe and God through scripture. I mean, he knew it because he was God. But um, so that's that's another thing that we can take away, right? Know your Bible. Okay. Speaking of knowing your Bible... Let's get a little spicier. Does the Bible really say slavery was okay? I'm going to let one of y'all go first on this. I have thoughts. I have, I feel comfortable talking about this, but um, Evan, I'll do you go have first. Any? Great. Yeah. Um, 
there are so this has been talked about so much, uh, especially in recent times. But um, uh, when I would say right off the bat, our, Peter Williams gave an excellent talk on this at Lanier Theological Library. You can find it if you just Google the right words or YouTube that search the right words. Uh, I think he goes through a nice about an hour long lecture. It makes some excellent points. For example, one of the most interesting points is that uh, all of the uh, uh, translations of servant all of a sudden kind of became slave like across the world in mm. in 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 denominations because the hebrew word and the greek word could be servant or slave mm-hmm. so they went from servant to slave in like the mid to late 1800s like all of oh, the wow. translations which is really interesting so it'd be worth finding that lecture just for the details on that um he also says that he said to summarize he said that every every use of the word uh, I think it's dev in Hebrew in the Old Testament should be translated as servant, he felt. And every mm-hmm. tra- every use of the word should be translated as slave. So like when Paul... In the New Testament? In the New Testament. Yeah. So uh, like when Paul talks about being a slave of Christ, he, right. he's a slave of Christ. Like that is right. the, that is the, the the way the bondage... Completely surrendered. Which, yes. Yeah. But, it, but in, in the Hebrew passages, like with the Israelites' relationship to the Egyptians, it really is... More a form of servitude than slavery per se, but um, so but he gives other some modern examples like the military draft. I mean, hmm. think about it. You're conscripted into service for a number of years, and you really don't have a choice. Is that slavery? Um, so uh, you know, arguably yes. But then you we, the the thorniest issues obviously are like the you know American chattel slavery, mm-hmm. um, and so whether the Bible condemns that. Well. Let's just say right off the bat, there are two things the Bible strictly forbids, in fact, are punishable by the death penalty. Mm-hmm. The first is kidnapping. Uh, kidnapping and the think. second is the division of families. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, selling people into slavery and then, you know, through kidnapping uh, and dividing the families as, as happened once they got to America, all of that is forbidden. So there's mm-hmm. no way that it can be argued that the Bible supports the form of chattel slavery that we saw in America. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, it's interesting. Um, I was just reading in Exodus, I think it's like Exodus 21 or 22, where there's a deal where the slave is to be released after seven years. But if the slave wants to stay with the family, yep. he can. But if he does that, it's forever. You know, right? You know, so like you have this chance to be freed after seven years. But if you don't take the opportunity, you know, then it's like, hey, then then your owner, if you will. A servant for life, it says. Yeah. yeah. So, you know... Um, so the Bible talks about it. It's it's closer to I think what we would think of as indentured servitude, where you're essentially making uh, it's like the it's like the ancient world's welfare system. Uh, in in some cases, mm-hmm. it's, you you just can't make the problem with this. Is you just can't make universal application. But in some cases, people said to themselves, "I'm either going to die or I'm going to serve somebody's household. I'll serve the household. Thank yeah. you very much." But for uh, a time, there were parameters on it. Right. Keep going. And 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 what the pagan world was doing. Hey, what what does that have to do with us? You know. So it. I mean, we're not. You know. Nobody here sitting here saying what the Romans did when they would capture, you know, mm-hmm. you know, prisoners of war or whatever is acceptable. Um, so yeah, so I think there are, there are definitely limits on it. Um, you know, I, I and, and not not to minimize again, not to not to in any way justify American slavery. I think that biblical defenses of that in the antebellum South were were wrong mm-hmm. and and poor readings of the Bible. Um, so. Yeah. But, you know, I think that, you know, there are, t- to a degree, if, if if what we're saying is that we don't have any other choice but to do something, then in, in, there are modern examples of that as well. So, by the way, there's more slavery today than there was then. Yep. So, what are we doing about that? Okay. Okay. Hot, hot takes by Evan. I will say, and then I'm going to turn it over to you, Oscar, but 
Um, the indentured servitude that you're talking about where someone was in debt and they would want to work that off, um, that was already happening long before the Mosaic law came along. So it's a thing that was happening. And then when God's giving his law and putting and sort of putting limits on things and constraints on things, he doesn't, um, God's not the one that instituted it is what I'm trying to say. He's the one that um, said, well, hey, here's how we can do this in a way that's fair, which we talked about at length with Paul Copan in one of our earlier um, do you remember the name of that one? So people can look it up. I don't, maybe it was when we talked about Leviticus. I bet it was. Yeah. So you can look that up in our, our YouTube feed, but, um, God didn't institute it, but he did regulate it and he regulated it with a lot more freedom than it had to begin with, which is kind of what God de- did on lots of fronts. Right. Um, and he makes all kinds of provisions for people. Like you talked about, if they want to stay with the family, um, but yeah, I think the number one thing to do when asked this question is to find what you mean when you say slavery. Because did the Bible say American chattel slavery was okay? No. And that's it. Just full stop. Um, did the Bible say the kind of slavery slash servant, you know, endangered servitude was okay? Um, I don't know if it said it was okay, but it said it's a system that's working. Let's make it work even better. Right. Um, Oscar, do you have any thoughts on this? Well, I don't have... Too many thoughts that are a big departure from what you guys have already mentioned. Um, by the way, John MacArthur wrote a really good mm-hmm. analysis of doulos, which is the term in Greek in the New Testament that's mm-hmm. used as slave that you alluded to earlier. And he also goes into pretty good depth about what's going on in the Old Testament. But yeah, like you guys, I see God's regulating and putting you know parameters and barriers around how one could treat a slave uh, as something that's actually quite gracious and quite kind of God. Mm. Um, and also shows that he really understands how sinful and like out of control things can get. Uh, and just to reaffirm, I don't see any place in scripture where God sort of nods approvingly mm-hmm. of slavery whatsoever in the same way that he doesn't think the divorce is good. I mean, we mm-hmm. know from, um, I believe it's Malachi that God hates it. Uh, but due to the hardness of people's hearts mm-hmm. allowed for certain provisions. So I, I see it as a, a parallel there yeah. where, where God understands how reckless we can become if we were just left to our own devices. And he at least lets his will be known. And from there, we can start to see that, no, in fact, it's actually a terrible evil. And thank God that it was Christians largely who were part of the abolitionist movement uh, to get rid of the awful nature mm-hmm. of, um, you know, new world chattel slavery, which again, to just reaffirm is not what was being described in the Old Testament. Yeah. And I think we should mention too, you know, there is a short book in the New Testament, Philemon, mm-hmm. which Paul is writing to a slave owner or a servant owner, but a slave owner, um, Philemon, his slave is named Onesimus, which means useful, which has a play on that because Paul talks about he was formerly useful to you, but now he's useful to me. Useful for what? Well, he's sending the slave back to Philemon, basically with the hopes that uh, that Philemon will remember the debt he is owed to Paul. Like, by the way, I got you into the kingdom, bro. So do me the solid and forgive <laughs> the message. Forgive the slave for running away and whatever. Um, so there's this really kind of heartfelt, beautifully crafted... I mean, Paul has this way of kind of laying the onus on the hearer in many cases like he Mm -hmm. kind of butters him up and it's like i know you're so kind you're going to do the right thing right (laughs) you know um and so but yeah there's an there is an appeal in that um to say that um 
you know, for, forgive the slave. So people will say, well, Paul condoned slavery. It's like, well, you know, how many churches were there in Paul's day? I don't know, 10, 15, 5, 20? Mm-hmm. And they're going to they're gonna overthrow the entire system of human slavery? You know, mm-hmm. it was what it was. It, it was a human institution. But there is a changed relationship mm-hmm. to the uh, the Christian slave and the Christian slave master. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I know I've heard James White say this. I can't verify it. But he's talked about how... Um, that uh, things got so upside down with Christianity that you would have elders in a church who are slaves and their masters would attend the church, oh, right? Yeah. So, well, it's kind of beautiful in a way, right? Huh. Because um, like in the Roman, I think it's in the Roman church, you would, you, there was a, he gives an example of, um, of a slave who has actually the spiritual head huh. of their master, you know? So that's, that is how Christianity subverted the, the, mm-hmm. the, the slavery of the world. Mm-hmm. Um and that's how still, I think, to this day, Christianity can sort of change the world. So um, anyway, we should have some nuance with the whole thing. Yeah. And, you know, uh, if if we relied on every Christian's, you know, exposition of uh, the Bible to be spot on would be in trouble, right? Because a lot of people professing Christians say stupid things that are <laughs> incorrect. So what we have to do... But no one in this room. No one in this room, yeah. No. Well, if we just... It's a constant effort to try to... Get it what the Bible says. Yeah. Does the and Bible really say? Why we do it together too, right? Yeah. So that we can correct each other, um, catch a little nuance, and be like, well, in fact, it happened in one of the ones we already recorded, which I think is coming later, where Juan Carlos was like, I heard you say this. I'd say it a little bit like this. And it's helpful, you know? But let me just say, if biblical law was followed, oh, here we go. chattel slavery would have been impossible. So uh, hmm. this, is the, this is the problem when we just wholesale throw away. Every yeah. aspect of law, we 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 don't try to apply it to the modern day because everything is just about ceremony or it's just about the Israelite the nation and there's no application. No, that was it. That's an example of moral law rightly applied would have made the Christians quote mm-hmm. unquote in name only uh, uh, involved in the slave trade. It would have made it impossible. Yeah, that's but a good point. but because we have relegated the Old Testament, that's why the the word Old Testament is the wrong word. You know, because it <laughs> makes it sound out of date. Okay. The First Testament. Evan McClanahan, renaming parts of the Bible. We are here for it. I don't know if this episode is going to air before our next event, but I think it will. And so if you're intrigued by what Evan is saying, you should come listen on April 18th as he dukes it out with two other pastors about this very thing. Um, and if you're hearing this after that, well, sorry. I think it'll be before. You can yeah. listen to the recording. So, yeah. All right. I'm going to take us to our last question. Um, this one, I think we'll have to unpack what the question means a little bit. But um, actually, more than one person sent something like this in. And the question is, does the Bible really say blank will send you to hell? Um, and I think – and, you know, we heard a lot of this kind of speak when we were doing the series on deconstruction because one of – if you were to list the top 10 things – that are sort of a catalyst for people deconstructing. One of them is this messaging, this narrative that they got from growing up in a certain church, whether the church taught that or they just heard it, that certain things will, quote, send you to hell. Well, I was told that having sex outside of marriage would send me to hell. I was told that drinking would send me to hell. So this is the question on the table is, are there certain sins that are so bad, like dancing, playing cards, um, that will, quote, send you to hell? Discuss. Oscar, well, you want to go first? Sure. Whether it's uh, Baptist theology or <laughs> even Catholic theology, I think that there are <clears throat> um, there's a long history, sorry, of people thinking that there are some sins that are so bad or so irredeemable mm-hmm. that 
could be deadly, right? So here I'm thinking of Catholic theology where pride, envy, gluttony, lust, anger, greed, and sloth. Did you Uh, have that memorized or did you look? I wrote it down. Okay. (laughs) That would be so impressive. I don't know. He was going through the seven movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's in the box? Okay, sorry. Continue. Uh, But yeah, the Catholic Church taught that if these were just ongoing and they were left unchecked mm-hmm. uh would in fact damn you eternally and there was no coming back from it uh you know compared to less egregious sins or Genial sins that sins. they that they didn't think were cardinal or capital or uh to mortal. use the popular term uh deadly yes yeah. thank you mortal so i i think that this is a common misconception and depending on you know who it is that's giving the like stern wag of the finger, uh, it could be a pet thing that maybe a parent or that particular mm-hmm. uh, pastor or mm-hmm. parish leader uh, just really really dislikes that right thing, whether it's dancing or drinking or what have you, and so then it gets like overemphasized in a particular yeah. context and a particular time and place in history. Uh, but uh, out and out, if someone is asking me like, does doing X send me to hell, I would say, no, that's not what sends you to hell. Right. Um, There are many commandments that are given to people uh, throughout the scriptures. And the one of the most wholesale ones that I see is that everyone has a responsibility to repent and believe. Mm -hmm. And it's your unbelief in Christ's atoning work on the cross that actually, quote unquote, sends you to hell. I mean, me personally, I don't really like the phrase sends you to hell. I would prefer separates you from God or makes it impossible for you to enter God's presence. Yeah. Uh, So your sinful nature, which is actually your own sinful desires, and your unwillingness to repent and throw yourself on the gracious mercy Mm -hmm. of God, that's actually what eternally separates you from God and not having crossed this particular line, this particular way, one time or even uh, several. That's really good. Would you say, I'm going to be a little controversial here. I'm borrowing that phrase from Evan because he says that and then he's really controversial. But would you say that our default mode is that we are already all on the path to hell? Now, this works despite your view if you're an annihilationist or if you are you take a traditional stance on hell and you can listen to other podcasts about that. But either way, the separation from God that you're talking about, however that turns out to be, that we're all on that path to begin with. And it is only if we, as you say, throw ourselves on the grace and mercy of Jesus that we change trajectory. Would you agree with that? Well, I would say that Romans teaches that very thing, that all have sinned Mm -hmm. and therefore fall short of the glory of God. Uh, And in Ephesians, it tells us that we're all dead dead in our trespasses and sins uh, in a different place. Uh, (laughs) We're told that uh, we're in direct opposition in our, and God, sorry, God's enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that even while we were yet sinners, Christ yeah. died for us. Like yep. God loves us when we are hell bent against him. <laughs> hell bent. That's good. Um, I like it. So yeah, we're, we're definitely on that stream uh, and flowing down that river pretty quickly. Um, and I've racked my brain for the past several moments trying to uh, remember which theologian said it this way, but <clears throat> he said, we always do according to our strongest desire in the moment. Hmm. And unfortunately, our default mm-hmm. desire is not towards the things of God. Right. And so in the moment, outside of God, through the Holy Spirit, changing your desires, we will either do whatever it is that's a set against God 
or we won't, but it won't be because we're trying to please God, but maybe we're just trying to avoid a consequence or something like right. that or shame Some or legalism. Um, yeah. Or we're just trying to not be seen as, as someone that would do something like that, even though we very sure. much want to, uh, and Either I, way, it's self-preservation, self-worship. Right. Yeah. And not only do I find that totally clarifying, but I find it almost uh, impossible to contradict logically, mm-hmm. right? Especially if you take into account in the moment, we will do according to what we most strongly desire yeah. in the moment. And thanks be to God that he can uh, take away that heart of flesh. I'm mm-hmm. sorry, that heart of stone and yes. give us a new heart of flesh, one that actually wants to do his will yeah. and can even will to do his will. Yeah, it's really good. I like it. We always say, um, you know, we're saved by the grace of God, but you send yourself to hell. You know, it's kind of a... You always say that? Well... Just hanging well, out at the Well, it's kind of that table. whole, like, you know, single versus double predestination thing, right? Where um, that's that's the that's the way Lutherans sort of cop out of this, of this sense of um, how you don't get any credit for your salvation, but you get all the blame for your damnation, right? Which, I, I mean, I think is true. Um you know, it, it kind of avoids the question of, yeah, but doesn't God have, you know, sort of foreknowledge or, you know, doesn't, if, if there's an elect people, doesn't that mean that there's a non-elect people? Yeah, right. which we talk which, about in a later episode, yeah. so stay tuned. But, but that said, um, so it's kind of like, does this one thing send you to hell? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, I think it's wrong to, it, categorically, I think it's sort of wrong to kind of, you know, um, assess sins in such a way. But on the other hand, it's not wrong. The Bible does that. The mm-hmm. Bible assesses different penalties for different sins. So in this yeah. life together, it is worse to break out a tooth than poke out an eye than kill a person. And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, the eye for eye, tooth for tooth is not um, wrong, okay? Um, it's actually a measure of equal justice. Just, yeah. Um, I think Jesus is calling us to an even higher... Mercy. Mercy, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but it's, but it is the law of God and in, in, in that sense, it's not wrong. Um, so I don't know. I, I, you know, so it's like, are there certain acts that are wrong? I mean, I do kind of joke that, um, you know, it's like my grandparents were totally right about the Beatles, right? You know, with their haircuts and their dancing. Oh my right? gosh. Or, or Where Elvis, are you going with this? Or Elvis. Well, there are, there are these religious move. there are these religious, um, efforts against these trends in the culture that are sensual or that are I dangerous yeah, okay. to our souls yeah. or like the B- Baptist boycott of Disney back in the early nineties mm-hmm. looking pretty wise, looking pretty good these days, that boycott, you know, should, they should have stuck with it, you know, just a few <laughs> years later and Disney would have gone totally off the rails. Um, so, I mean, I do think that like there are these movements in culture that are corrosive. Yeah. Um, and so Elvis shaking his hips and the Beatles bad haircuts. Well, I mean, the heck, you know, it's the British invasion, the harmless British invasion in 1964. And by 1971, there are a bunch of LSD junkies. You know what I'm saying? Just to be clear for our audience, it wasn't the haircuts that made people do LSD. No, no. They weren't like long hair. I feel a nudge. But it all seems to, you know, you know, it's like in by the early 80s, you know, John Lennon's like, imagine a world with no religion. Right. You know, so... um. I don't know. I, I, I feel like, you know, do I think that there are certain particular acts? Look at, look at, yeah, like we're uh, 10 years ago, we're twerking and now the devil is literally dancing on the Emmy Awards, you know? So Grammy, Grammys, Grammys. Grammys, Yes. The music awards. Yeah. So I'm like, I, I, I do, I kind of want to stick up for all the people that were like, (laughs) this particular sin is bad and we need to go no further. Because it seems like they've kind of been proven right. So at the risk of being the, the prude curmudgeon, um, no, you're already there. There's no risk. Okay, okay that's okay, your role okay, here. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I think that there are some um, 
Interestingly, we've pulled back from some sins, like smoking. You know, hmm. what I mean? like it used to be everywhere. Now I haven't pulled back from that. I can't stand yeah. smoking. Well, but, yes. but I mean, you know, culturally, it's like they used to smoke yeah. in the hospital. Like as they're like delivering the baby, it's like, <laughs> all right, it looks like it's a boy. Can't uh, say that anymore. Uh, oh my gosh! Okay, before you yeah. derail yourself any further, I think what you're getting, Oscar, do you remember a couple years, few years ago now, we were in a big group discussion, and the question on the table, we thought everyone would like say yes and move along, and then we got in this giant fight about um, are some sins worse than others. And, you know, we were trying to make the distinction. We were on the right side. We were together on that uh, with a couple other people um, that in the sense that we are separated from God because of our self-worship, our idolatry, whatever word you want to give it, our sin, in that way, all sins are, quote, equal because we're all equally separated from God. In the sense of how they play out here on earth and the like you're talking about the effects they have in generations to come, they're not. I mean, you're right. That there's the, I mean, getting a speeding ticket is not the same as going to jail for murder, you know? And that's why the law follows that. So I think that's a little bit at play here too, Mm -hmm. right? Is that some people have gotten the messaging um, erroneously that if you do certain sins, those will send you to hell. And it's like, no, no, no. Hell was already in your future. (laughs) Um, But thanks be to God, that's not – I mean, there's there's an option to be rescued. Well, I do remember that conversation. And I think what we were trying to explain to the people that were there was that it's not an either or, it's a Mm -hmm. yes and. So, for example, in James 2, it says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. So, you can't come to God and say, well, look how good I was. Look at my record. I was 8 out of 10. Yeah. Um, Well, having sinned in any way. It creates that eternal separation, not because uh, we ourselves have lived for eternity and sinned an eternal amount, but because of the character of who we're attacking with our sin, who he is actually eternal. But then there are plenty of other places where uh, God calls certain things abominations, which would put them in a, in a different category mm-hmm. or uh, something that is always very sobering to me, like not let not many of you be teachers, mm-hmm. because if you are, you will be judged uh, more severely. And perhaps uh, to give my Catholic uh, brethren out there a little bit of a bone, there is actually a portion in Proverbs that uh, says that there are seven things that are detestable to God. Yeah. Uh, now, they're not the list that we mentioned earlier, uh, but that God sees as a, a, a special kind of evil where you're really preparing it. Uh, So, for example, one of those is hands that shed innocent blood Mm. or a heart that plots evil. I mean, this kind of like dwelling on something and scheming, uh, the the intent behind it uh, raises it to a level that God would call it detestable. Uh, So, just wanted to make sure to put those points out there. That's really good. On the on the idea that you know you're gonna come into God and say like I'd mostly kept the law. I recently heard Mike Winger give the um, example or the illustration of you're holding on a chain onto a chain. It's like ten links of a chain, and that's what's holding you over a chasm of a fiery volcano or something. I don't know. And you're like, well, only one of the links is broken. <laughs> like you're still gonna die. Mm. I thought that was a handy illustration, but um, yeah. So I think. To answer the question, does the Bible really say blank will send you to hell? Uh, I can't find a verse that says that, right? I think that um, we would all agree about that, but that there, we are inclined that way in our whole being. And Well, you know, I will say, um, uh, and uh, unfortunately, I'm going to have to look it up, but 1 Corinthians 6, which is the text. There's like a list there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, and uh, you know, uh, Paul does pretty much... Uh, say this 
sort of keeps you out of God's kingdom. And it's, and it's, 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 I'm almost there now. No, yeah, we've talked about this at TOT before when we talked about homosexuality. Yeah, it's where the, I mean, or do you not know uh, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Inherit the kingdom of God. So Mm -hmm. if that's what heaven is, okay. And he says, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, obviously we've debated that extensively here, uh, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So um, in one sense, like, will blank keep you out of God's kingdom? Well, Paul just gave you a list. So what's the solution? Repent and believe. You know, and he says, of course... Which means they won't keep you out of heaven. If you right, repent and believe. Right, right, Yeah. Because the next... Be clear. The, yeah, the next... I mean, verse 11, and such were some of you. Yes. Which means that uh, there were people in Corinth who were homosexuals, revilers, thieves, drunkards, swindlers. idolaters, like swindlers, all, all of those things. Th- that, that's who makes up the church in Corinth, you yeah. know? So, um, and yet all of those people are in God's kingdom. So there is a sense in which there is no sin. Which other than the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, right? Because that's the unforgive the one unforgivable it's sin. It's unbelief, but, right? Yeah. Not clinging to the rescue. Yeah. yeah. So uh, other than that, no, there's not a single sin that can keep you out. So that's the really good news is that the yeah. death of Christ is sufficient for any sin. Um, the problem uh, in in the church today is that we have created a special, a protected class of sins. That these are the untouchable sins, sins we cannot speak against. And of course, I'm thinking of sexual sins yeah you know, hey these are part of all of I, them not are, just sure yeah sure these are part of who i am this is how god made me it's protected you can't say anything against it and there are uh you know no country- kink shaming yeah what's that no, no kink, kink shaming shaming <laughs> we told you it'd be um, spicy uh but like uh, in in canada you know in norway in northern england there have been a number of trials a number of street preachers who are going to prison um i think the i think anyway um Anyway, there have been examples in case law where to quote the Bible uh, on First Corinthians six, for example, yeah. is considered hate speech. Yeah. So you know, um, this this is where things seem to be going, where you have this protected class of people, because now the LGBT. I'm just speaking for myself, not for anybody else, not for TOT, whatever. I'm just saying, it's a it's a group of people that now is you know has hate speech protection, which in I guess they get to find what hate speech is. So. Um, Anyway, I, I say all, I'm, I'm off topic. I say all that to say it is a problem that we have created protected classes of sinners and sins. That is unbiblical. It has led to a lot of confusion in the church. And um, and anyway, that's I think it's partly the pushback that people said gays are going to hell. Right. Right. So so it it's wrong to say gays are going to hell in the sense that. Again, as what we've already said, hey, all fall short of the glory of God. Right. Um, a lot of straight people are in hell too. Okay, just because you have yes. hom- heterosexual sex, you know, there's a lot, lot wrong with that too. So, um, well, ch- that's cheerful news from Evan McClanahan. Yeah. Um, but there that's is good news, for. which you said, but I just want to land on that. Yeah, please. Right, like none of these things keep you from being able to say yes to Jesus and surrender to him, like like the verse said, right? And some of you were right. this way, but now they're different. They're, to take us back to our former question, they're now slaves to Christ, slaves to yeah. righteousness. Right. And that is on the table for us. And it doesn't mean that we won't ever sin again. That's just another thing I want to clear up. Like We will keep sing- sinning. We just covered this in our Bible study last night, the part where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. And he says, like, you're, you're already clean, but you, you know, your feet are soiled. And so you don't need to be re-cleaned. You're, you're mm, saved. Yeah. You're in. You're part of the kingdom. You're part of our, my family. 
But when you do those things, when and you will, um, like wash them off, pray and mm-hmm. confess mm-hmm. and return and repent again over and over to God. Um, so anyway, okay, well, that's really good. Any last words or shall we say goodbye? Well, I would just say that your point is even reemphasized in First John, right? If you say you're without sin, you're a liar. The spirit is not yeah. in you. But confess your sins to one another. Uh, and God is faithful to forgive. And um, I just want to encourage everyone, A, to speak to God and speak mm-hmm. to God in repentance, speak to God in repentance daily, uh, but also to think on the words that he told the woman who'd been caught. He showed her a lot of grace and mercy, woman caught in adultery, uh, didn't allow anyone else to cast judgment on her and really challenged them not to and to look inwardly and to look at the sins that uh, plagued them. Uh, but as best as we can in the power of the Holy Spirit, to do what we can to go and sin no more yeah. thereafter. Uh, and that's really where the battle lies. It's not that we won't sin, is that we uh, should, ought to prayerfully be seeking out God's Holy Spirit in us yeah. to empower us to cease and to curtail, uh, all for the glory of God. Yeah. Amen. That's a great spot to land. If people want to pick your brain some more about some of this stuff, where can people find you? I am incognito everywhere. I oh my canceled. All, I'm on LinkedIn, I guess. Uh, but um, can they email you? Sure, sure. Uh, you could reach me at, and this will sound corny, Oscar Villanueva, spelled V I L L A N U E V A, the number 14 at yahoo.com. Yahoo. Okay. Uh, and of course, everything you need to know about life. Well, no, but about Theology on Tap and Theology on Air. You can find it at HoustonTOT.com. If you don't like something that we said, you can find our email addresses and contact us. Um, but until we do this again, we encourage you, as always, to question freely, think deeply, and disagree as needed.